from the University of Texas at Austin, KUT Radio. This is In Black America. On the social side, it's similar, except that we're talking about meeting students in the holistic ways in their whole selves, so that although you're a college student, you're not only a college student. And so what I found, based on these men's narratives, this was a qualitative interview study, they talked, they gave credence overwhelmingly to uh, ways in which these programs kept them focused academically, provided them with multiple levels of support, not only their own kind of black male peers, but also with faculty and staff on campus. Uh, they felt like they had easier access to resources than if they would have tried to have to figure it out on their own. But even more importantly, uh, many of these guys or a number of these guys were students where they were one of very few in the classroom or very much minoritized numerically in a major program that they were studying. And so having this black male collective that they could count on, that they could feel whole in, that these were really in some ways not just safe spaces, but actually counter spaces to the dominant institutional climate that where people held beliefs perceptions and even, you know, spoke these expressively that they didn't think black men were capable. They didn't, you know, are you an athlete? Dr. Derek Abrooms, assistant professor of sociology and Africana studies at the University of Cincinnati, an author of Being Black, Being Male on Campus, Understanding and Confronting Black Male Collegiate Experiences, published by SUNY Press. A recent study conducted by Brooms concluded that black male initiative programs enhance black male students' sense of belonging and success in college. Broom studied black male students from three different educational institutions and found that their out-of-class involvement in BMI programs strengthened their sense of community. According to the study, black male students are often faced with issues of isolation due to the low number of black male students on college campuses. Their participation in BMI programs helped them access social and cultural capital, provide support, and aided in their college success. I'm Johnny O'Hanson, Jr., and welcome to another edition of In Black America. On this week's program, Being Black, Being Male, on campus with Dr. Derek R. Brooms in Black America. So one of the things I think about, um, and this is my, from my own experience, is that, that too many colleges operate on this sink or swim mantra, right? That once mm-hmm. you get to a college campus, you just need to figure it out. Well, that's right. really problematic. <laughs> exactly. Um, because that's based in the assumptions that people have had these prior experiences that really set them up to know how to navigate that. And, and the reality is, even as I think about uh, being, you know, my role as a teacher and an educator, what we ask students to do in college classrooms are in many ways fundamentally different than what we ask them to do in high school. So part of what we're doing especially in those first years, is helping students learn how to be college students. But if we set up a scenario in an environment where if you don't know this, then some kind of way or some kind of, you know, interpretation of you're lesser than, then that immediately creates roadblocks and instantaneous obstacles that these students are facing. Recruitment efforts towards African-American males have increased at many colleges and universities. Their retention and graduate rates still lag far behind their white counterparts. Men of color, particularly African-American and Latino men, face a number of unique challenges in their quest for college education that often impact their presence on campus and inhibit their collegiate success. One program that has helped them navigate the college terrain is the Black Male Initiative Programs. According to Dr. Derek R. Brooms, an assistant professor of sociology and Africana studies at the University of Cincinnati, BMI programs provide a sense of community and access to resources that otherwise these students may not be aware of. 
born and raised in Chicago, Illinois, Brooms holds a BA in African and African American Studies from the University of Chicago and a PhD in Sociology from Loyola University of Chicago. Recent Black America spoke with Professor Brooms. I'm from uh, Chicago, Illinois, and folks who know about Chicago, you got to tell where you're from within the city. So I'm from the South Side. Lived there, grew up there uh, my entire kind of you know life and into early adulthood. Went to college at the University of Chicago. So uh, South Side Chicago, born and raised. And tell us what was life like growing up on the South Side of Chicago. Uh, it was, you know, it was, a, it was a number of different things. Uh, I know it's much different back then than it is right now. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a number of things. So, you know, I grew up in a large family, you know, multiple generations of folks who grew up in Chicago. So regardless of where I lived on the south side, I had family members who lived in different neighborhoods. Mm-hmm. So I uh, learned about a lot of the histories of Chicago through navigating the city and, and, and visiting and spending time with family. Obviously, as you know and many others know, Chicago is very much racially segregated. Right. So, you know, learning about that racial residential segregation from a firsthand experience. Mm -hmm. Uh, Went to schools that were overwhelmingly 100% black student population. And then the teaching population, you know, was a bit diverse depending on, you know, which school I was in. So a lot of those kind of just early exposure to kind of how race matters. You're talking about the politics of a Harold Washington you know, growing up during the sports prowess of the Chicago Bulls. And so you saw the ways in which people gravitated to certain activities or moved away from other activities depending on their interest and and things of that nature. So it was a a really great learning experience to to think about people in very humanistic ways and not just kind of label them based on where they're from. Now, the University of Chicago is a dynamic university. Well, what made you stay close to home? Primarily, it was just the, the the opportunity to take advantage of the dynamic education and and, and experiences that you can garner at a place like University of Chicago. Mm-hmm. I also played football. Okay. Um, I wasn't I wasn't a football player. I just played it because I, I enjoyed it. And you know, my friends played in high school, and so that mm-hmm. created an, an opportunity for me to play close to home while also pursuing, you know, high academic achievement, which also meant that from an athletic standpoint, my, my family members could come out um, and watch and support, but also as well that I could access my home community, my family in, in ways that was just, you know, much closer proximity than if I went to school out of the city or out of state. Why African-American studies as a major? Primarily because I wanted to, it's kind of funny, you, you, you end up studying things with, and you you don't really know all of it at the time. I mean, at right. the time, it was. I wanted to learn more about black history, black culture, black communities. And what I ended up learning about was kind of more about myself and, and being exposed to literary giants, art, music, culture, histories that, you know, span not only the United States, but then also the, the continent as well as the diaspora. Um, it just helped me have a better sense of self. Mm-hmm. And with that, I felt self-empowered to engage in things that um, I thought could make positive contributions to, to my communities. And so um, it was it was one of those blessings in disguise where I, I didn't know what it was. I just figured I could study about black folks. And as I got into it, I mean, I'm reading people like Walter Rodney and Chene Chibe and obviously folks like James Baldwin and, and Lorraine, uh, <clears throat> Lorraine Hansberry and right. so many others. Um, and you start to just get a better sense of kind of who you are 
how you fit not only within kind of the U.S. society, but how you're a global citizen through the the, the writings and the, and, the, and the lessons from others. Now, you did the reverse migration. You went from north to the south at Clark, Atlanta. Yes. Uh, why Clark, Atlanta? Well, the, the one of the most compelling reasons is that uh, Atlanta University, um, as it was formerly called, is where Dr. W.B. Du Bois taught. Right. And so for me, because uh, I pursued a master's degree in African and African American studies, um, I just, you know, created my own symbolism in terms of being able to study at a place that, that he taught for years. Atlanta also was a, a booming city. It allowed me to just be in a different part of the country and, and pursue studies in a space where, you know, blackness was celebrated in ways that looked very different than other spaces. Now, you had difficulties in choosing your Ph.D. major, African-American studies, but you ultimately decided on sociology at the University, uh, Loyola University in Chicago. Correct. A par- part of it was that at the time, I mean, I just didn't know a whole lot about Ph.D. programs, period. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so when I looked at Ph.D. programs in African and African-American studies or, you know, any kind of derivative of that name, Pan-African studies, Africana studies, there were only a handful of schools that, that offered it. And so um, given my own kind of limited understanding and limited knowledge of, I mean, I still wasn't sure what I wanted to do as a career. I thought I might want to teach. And as I looked at African and African American studies in a PhD, I just knew that not a lot of colleges and universities had that program. And so, again, based on my own kind of naivety, I, I thought that might limit some of the opportunities in the future. And at the same time, I had some friends who were in sociology programs, and I began to learn and realize that I could actually study some of the same things at definitely black communities through a sociological lens. And so to me, figuring that most schools had social sciences or some you know derivation of sociology or some close proximity, um, I thought that would give me a lot of different types of opportunities. I understand. If you're just joining us, I'm Johnny O'Henson, Jr., and you're listening to In Black America from KUT Radio. We're speaking with Dr. Derek Brooms, Associate Professor of Sociology and Africana Studies at the University of Cincinnati, and author of Being Black, Being Male on Campus, Understanding and Confronting Black Male Collegiate Experiences. Dr. Brooms, what led you to write this book? It really grew out of my own schooling experiences, and so... Okay. You know, being a professor, I have a unique opportunity to not only read and study other people's knowledge, I also have an opportunity to create knowledge that hopefully has an impact uh, not only on people's lives but on communities and institutions. And so as I continuously, I mean, even till today, reflect on my own schooling experiences, K through 12, all the way through uh, my graduate studies, excuse me, my college and graduate studies, given the types of schools that I attended, given some of the narratives that are out about black students in general, black males in particular, things such as uh, they don't care about school, you know, the the over-preponderance and, and over-support for athletic prowess as opposed to academic and intellectual skills. I thought about my experiences in going from 100% black high school to a college that was 4.5%. And I thought about some of the adjustments and some of the trials, tribulations, lessons, and triumphs that I had in my own experiences. And, of course, at the same time, we we know that colleges and universities, particularly, you know, historically and predominantly white institutions, continue to be spaces that are rife for black students with regards to hostility, challenges, discrimination, racism. 
et cetera. And part of, so part of what I wanted to do was give agency to black men's experiences in college in particular. It just so happened that the schools that I studied uh, or the students that I partnered with attended schools that were historically white institutions. And at the same time, I, I wanted them to tell their own stories um, as opposed to people constantly talking about black men but not talking with black men. I understand. Is it somewhat different you arrived at the University of Louisville in 2012 from the students that you are now encountering at the University of Cincinnati in 2018? I wouldn't. I mean, I, I think that I, I used to teach at a community college as well. With so Prairie I, State, yeah. Prairie State. Right. So as I think about my own teaching experiences within higher education, I, I think we find similar trends, that we find students who are, you know, incredibly talented intellectual, academically oriented, have mm-hmm. high educational aspirations. You know, on the other end of that spectrum, we have students who struggle. Some of that is for personal reasons, motivation. Some of that is family background. Some of it is previous schooling experiences. Some of it is the environment at that college. And we have a bunch of students in the middle who, you know, with various backgrounds are kind of navigating and negotiation negotiating college campuses and, and, and trying to pursue their goals. I, I, that's been consistent for me at each of those three institutions, Prairie State, University of Louisville, and here at the University of Cincinnati. I think one of the things that you just, you know, really kind of contributes to what you experience and how students try to navigate and negotiate college is that college culture. Mm-hmm. So, you know, at Louisville, um, during the time that I was there, there was a, a lot of focus and attention on the athletic prowess of the institution. Okay. Here at Cincinnati, it just so happens that the football team did really well this year. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. Maybe I brought a little luck with me. Uh, but they did really well, but you don't have the over-dominance of athletics, right? So here at the University of Cincinnati, at least in the time that I've been here, it's a bit different, I, and I don't want to scale it. It's just mm-hmm. a bit different than the focus on athletics at the University of Louisville. And then, of course, if I go to Prairie State, well, they don't have a football team. Right. Uh, this is a community college, so their sports and athletic programs aren't funded in any stretch of the imagination in the same ways. And so that different kind of institutional climate has an impact on how students are attracted to these institutions, how they make meanings of their experiences, and, and how they try to negotiate it. In a study that you conducted, which led me to, to reach out to you for an interview, you said black male initiative programs enhance the success and belonging of, of African-American males on campus? Yeah, so I have a, a major study that I've, it's, it's a multi-year, multi-institutional study where I'm looking at 65, in that particular study that you referenced, 65 mm-hmm. black men across three different institutions, all of whom participate in some form or variation of a black male initiative program. And these programs, by and large, are intended to uh, increase the retention and graduation of black men. For the most part, they really kind of have two main domains, an academic domain and a social domain. And so academically, it's a focus on, you know, pursuing your educational goals and ensuring that you're tapping into the resources that are available on campus and also forming some cohorts, if you will, or study groups or, you know, bonding sessions where they're supporting each other academically. And then on the on the social side, it's similar, except that, you know, we're talking about meeting students in the holistic ways in their whole selves so that 
although you're a college student, you're not only a college student. Mm-hmm. And so what I found, based on these men's narratives, this was a, a qualitative interview study, they talked, they gave credence overwhelmingly to uh, ways in which these programs kept them focused academically, provided them with multiple levels of support, not only their own kind of black male peers, but also with faculty and staff on campus. Uh, they felt like they had easier access to resources than if they would have tried to have to figure it out on their own. But even more importantly, uh, many of these guys or a number of these guys were students where they were one of very few in a classroom or very much minoritized numerically in a major program that they were studying. And so having this black male collective that they could count on, that they could feel whole in, that these were really in some ways not just safe spaces, but actually counter spaces to the dominant institutional climate that where people held beliefs, perceptions, and even, you know, spoke these expressively that they didn't think black men were capable. They didn't, you know, are you an athlete? Um, are you here because of affirmative action? And so these, what we might call racial microaggressions that really delimited and, and, and demonized who these men are and their abilities in these black male collective spaces, these black male initiative spaces, they really felt like they could be heard, they could share, they could be uh, healed, um, and they could develop and, and come up with strategies on how to navigate some of these things. So when I look at all of those things collectively, um, and you, I mean, overwhelming uh, increase in uh, or high numbers of their graduation, even engaging in leadership roles, not just within black male initiative programs on their campuses, but then also in other registered student organizations such as Greek Life, et cetera. This really became a micro community that helped them see their possible selves. Does the administration at these colleges and universities understand some of the, the hidden pressures if one African-American male isn't an athlete that they're going through on campus? I would say yes and no. Yes, from the standpoint that these things aren't new, right? Exactly, exactly. If we look at the black student campus movement in the 1970s, much of the same kind of issues they were talking about here 40 years later are really the same. It's not just affecting black men. It's also affecting black women Mm -hmm. and even other students who are non-gender conforming, et cetera, you know, different sexualities. And so these are not necessarily new phenomena. So to me, if folks say that they don't know, then that's problematic, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and at the same time, when they do know, the question just be, you know, we're not we're not satisfied with you know. What are you doing right. to move the needle to change the institutional culture and climate to put supports in place that help these men and other students who may face other types of challenges, uh, you know, be successful on campus? Getting back to your book, Dr. Broom, why was it easy for these men to express themselves to you about their experiences on campus? Well, I think the the main part of what I do and the work that I do, and I'm not just talking about research, but I'm talking about teaching. I'm talking about service. Right. I'm talking about just working with people. This is We're talking about people and people's lives. Mm-hmm. And so the most important thing for me is about building relationships because at the end of the day, I can I can go and find research in a lot of other places. So this isn't an approach or I don't take this approach just because I need a research project. I'm doing it because I'm trying to support uh, students' efforts. I'm trying to learn more about their experiences so that I can, in some ways, whether through writing or, you know, through my own leadership, et cetera, contribute to ways to, to enhance their college experiences 
I think that there's a bit of authenticity that the students see in my approach and the things that I've done in the past um, that I've shared with them and, and where it is that I'm trying to go and what it is I'm trying to accomplish. And I think that they, you know, appreciate uh, my willingness to listen. I, I think, you know, one of the most significant findings in this study, and it's not necessarily a surprise, it's, it's actually really frustrating is, you know, at the end of the interview and kind of when we're just continuing to just have conversation, but it's mm-hmm. not interview-based, I, I, I asked a number of these guys, you know, outside of, say, Black Male Initiative programs and, and maybe your family, has anybody, have you talked to anybody on campus about your experiences? Overwhelmingly, the answer is no. Nobody's ever asked me. Mm-hmm. So we have, you know, scores of students on college campuses who are facing challenges. And I say that very broadly because I don't want to try to nail down if there's just one or two challenges. Again, it depends on their backgrounds and experiences. And yet we're putting programs in place and we treat these programs as as if they're a fix-all. And at the same time, we're not even talking to the students. Right. (laughs) (laughs) I like, I don't even, I mean, that's so anti-educational. Exactly. uh, That... It's 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 really painful and it's frustrating, and so I think that was part of it too. That genuinely speaking, nobody showed you know beyond again beyond black male initiative programs and, and in particular the staff members and their black male peers and, and a few others, they didn't feel like anybody was even in, they didn't even feel like people was interested in them as people first, right? Interested in their experiences and were willing to listen in efforts to try to create change. So if I combine all of those, why am I going to talk to somebody? Exactly. Yeah, I don't believe you interested in, in, in knowing. You know, professor doesn't call me by name. Professor stereotypes me because I'm sitting in the back of the class. You know, so I'm, I'm being policed on where I sit in the class. Uh, mm-hmm. I ask for help. Then that's certified, you know, interpreted as certification that I don't know. <laughs> so, you know, from the from that kind of perspective, you know, we begin to ask questions, well, if they don't get an opportunity to talk to us, and by us is the village, right? Then who do they who do they get to talk to? Talk to, right? Yeah. Dr. Broom, when you when you look at the the number of African American males on campus, and then understanding the pressures in which they're undergoing with the isolation and the feeling that no one really believes that we should be here, how does that affect them in the educational process? Because college is already hard enough with all this other stuff going on. Mm-hmm. So one of the things I think about, um, and this is my from my own experience, is that, that too many colleges operate on this sink or swim mantra, right? That once mm-hmm. you get to a college campus, you just need to figure it out. Well, that's right. really problematic. <laughs> exactly. Um, because that's based in the assumptions that people have had these prior experiences. They really set them up to know how to navigate that. And, and the reality is, even as I think about uh, being, you know, my role as a teacher and an educator, what we ask students to do in college classrooms are in many ways fundamentally different than what we ask them to do in high school. So part of what we're doing, especially in those first years, is helping students learn how to be college students. But if we set up a scenario in an environment where if you don't know this, then some kind of way or some kind of you know interpretation of you're lesser than, then that immediately creates roadblocks and institution, uh, instantaneous you know uh, obstacles that these students are facing. And one of the things that's really, really I, another critical finding is that even with these challenges, barriers, obstacles, setbacks, lowered expectations, no expectations, lack of support, 
these men still have high educational aspirations. So I think that in and of itself, number one, pushes back against that kind of deficit-oriented dominant narrative that black men don't care about education. And then at the same time, it also speaks very, in a very real sense to these men's educational urgency and their educational aspirations. And so even when I'm facing all of these things, I'm still going to try to figure out a way to pursue my goal. I, 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 you know, so unfortunately, we have these dominant narratives that speak for black men as if they're a monolith, uh, right. black students in general, actually, as if they're a monolith. I mean, we can think about black women and, and, and they're in many ways constrained by their successes. So because they have high levels of retention and graduation, people present that or interpret that as, well, they don't really need any help. So we've got we've to appreciate the nuance and heterogeneity of students' experiences um, and understand that, you know, different students, different student populations might need different forms and types of support. And at the same time, we, we also got to make sure that we always and continuously hold space for students to tell their truths and, and, and speak about their experiences on, on our college campuses, because otherwise, then we're really not appreciating who our students are. We're celebrating diversity in numbers, but we're really not appreciating what our students are bringing to the campus, the cultural knowledges that they uh, have to offer us and the ways that they try to navigate campus. I think about my preparation for college, junior high and high school, knowing that the end game was to attend college, so that tenium was always the preparation. I found an interesting chapter two actually dealt with that and I think if one, irregardless of the ethnicity, is going to attend college, they should read this chapter. But why is that important to have all these ducks in a row to prepare yourself long before you arrive on a college or university campus? I think I think for me, in, in, you know, again, in terms of experience and, and research and working with students uh, from various backgrounds, is that you know, transitioning to college is just difficult for some students. You know, if you think about the class schedule, so in high school you're very regimented, you're pretty much 8.30 to 3.30. You've got things laid out. There's very few times where you don't have anything to do. You're, you're supposed to be somewhere. You can get to college and not have classes on Tuesdays and Thursdays. <laughs> you have to learn how to be very strategic in terms of time management exactly. and self-management. right? Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. Those are not necessarily skills that our students are, are learning in the same ways within the K-12 through setting. Right. Um, so, you know, another thing that a colleague and I, uh, Arthur Davis, Dr. Arthur Davis, we write about is, you know, what are the ways that, that uh, our kind of high school students can learn from current college students, right? So we talk about uh, this notion of peer pedagogies because they're in close proximity to age. Mm-hmm. And it's these valuable lessons and insights that they can learn from folks who've just kind of gotten to college that, you know, you're not going to necessarily learn in a high school context kind of in a general sense. So, kind of being exposed not only to colleges of varying types. So, you know, my work primarily speaks to kind of historical and predominantly white institutions because those were, you know, where the students were. But we can, you know, talk about Hispanic-serving institutions, community colleges, of course, historically black colleges and universities. And so, you know, how do you transition from whatever your high school and your background is to that specific type of institution? Dr. Derek I. Brooms, Assistant Professor of Sociology and Africana Studies at the University of Cincinnati and author of Being Black, Being Male on Campus, Understanding and Confronting Black Male Collegiate Experiences. If you have questions or comments or suggestions as to your future in Black America programs, 
Email us at inblackamerica at kut.org. Also, let us know what radio station you heard is over. Remember to like us on Facebook and to follow us on Twitter. The views and opinions expressed on this program are not necessarily those of this station or of the University of Texas at Austin. You can hear previous programs online at kut.org. Until we have the opportunity again for technical producer David Alvarez, I'm Johnny O'Hanson, Jr. Thank you for joining us today. Please join us again next week. CD copies of this program are available and may be purchased by writing In Black America CDs, KUT Radio, 300 West Dean Keaton Boulevard, Austin, Texas, 78712. That's In Black America CDs, KUT Radio, 300 West Dean Keaton Boulevard, Austin, Texas, 78712. This has been a production of KUT Radio.